These are among the darkest hours for Europe since the end of World War II. Said the EU's High Representative Joseph Borrell. And in these dark hours, the European Union and its people stand by Ukraine and its people. Clarified this morning, the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Today's episode is focusing on the Russian invasion in Ukraine. How did we get here? What are the next steps for the EU? And what was the last nail on the Nord Stream 2 coffin? I am Evikiori. Welcome to Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Ukraine has woken up to a new reality this morning. And trying to explain the Russian invasion in the country, I spoke with Euractiv senior editor Georgi Gotev and Euractiv's reporter on global Europe, Alexandra Przosowski. Georgi, let's start with you. Russia has officially invaded Ukraine now. How did we get to the point of war? The point of uh, no return uh, was uh, obviously uh, declaring uh, the regions of Donetsk and uh, Lugansk uh, as, uh, well, recognizing them as independent. And uh, then, of course, uh, it was just a matter of uh, time, uh, you know, for uh, Putin to take the decision and uh, send the the army over. Uh, It's very interesting to listen to uh, what he said, because each time that he took uh, decisions, he made a long uh, televised uh, address. And uh, I think that uh, his narrative is uh, very disturbing. And for the history, the Russia-Ukraine crisis is a continuation of the one that began in 2014. Back then, Russia invaded Ukraine and annexed the Crimean Peninsula and backed a rebellion led by pro-Russia separatists in the eastern Donbass region. The fierce battles in 2014 and 2015 ended with one-third of the region's territory in the hands of the self-proclaimed Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics. Between September 2014 and February 2015, Russia, Ukraine, France and Germany signed several iterations of the so-called Minsk agreements, which eventually stopped the forward movement of troops and reduced fighting significantly. Russia's threat was prominent in the area and it grew into mass protests in Ukraine that targeted also the country's pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych. The tension was fueled even more over the future of Ukraine. It's obvious that Putin doesn't want Ukraine to be a part of the EU or NATO. To avoid the tension, EU leaders, NATO and the US president asked for dialogue and negotiations. However, diplomatic talks between Russia and the West were not productive. And we come on Monday, 21st of February, where on a televised speech, Vladimir Putin talks about genocide in the two self-proclaimed republics of Donetsk and Luhansk, trying to justify today's invasion. How accurate is that, Georgi? In the fake world uh, world, uh, Putin creates, uh, Ukraine is a false country created by Vladimir Ilyich Lenin in 1917 when everybody knows that uh, uh, Ukraine is the cradle of Russia. Uh, In his narrative, uh, uh, the Maidan revolution uh, was uh, sponsored by the US embassy and the current uh, uh, government of uh, Ukraine are neo-Nazis. In his narrative, uh, the current government of uh, Ukraine 
would like uh, to take uh, by military force uh, Crimea uh, and Donbass uh, back. In his narrative, he imagines that uh, they are preparing uh, probably nu- a nuclear weapon or nuclear weapons uh, to you know to achieve uh, their goals. And of course, uh, he speaks of uh, genocide, uh, uh, as you said, uh, in the sense that uh, uh, he claims that the Ukrainian government is uh, exercising gen- genocide uh, vis-à-vis uh, the Russian-speaking uh, uh, population of uh, uh, Donetsk and uh, Lugansk, uh, which of course is, is, is completely <laughs> untrue. Uh, but he seems to believe it, and uh, this is frightening. And what is Putin's goal in Ukraine? Uh, he's going for for the big win. Uh, he he wants uh, he wants a, um, puppet government. Uh, he would like to put down uh, this government, uh, install a, a government which would uh, uh, look very much like uh, the government of Lukashenko in Belarus. And uh, what is really fr- frightening is that uh, they may put in jail a lot of people. Uh, including uh, journalists. You, we have to be conscious of that. Now, Alex, coming to you, there are a lot of reactions coming in from Europe and beyond. NATO was quick to call a meeting this morning in response to the invasion. What can we expect in the near future? Yes, indeed. So NATO ambassadors met um because a range of NATO allies had called for consultations under um, the alliance's Article 4. Uh, After Russia attacked Ukraine, Article 4 calls for consultations over military matters um, when the territorial integrity, political independence or security of any of the parties is threatened. Of course, while Ukraine is not a NATO member, as we know, uh, several of its neighboring countries are. And um, so they were very anxious to to address that issue. NATO Secretary General um, Jens Stoltenberg um, spoke to us reporters here in Brussels um, around uh, a few hours ago and announced that NATO will take additional steps and further beef up also its land, sea and air forces on, on the eastern flank near Ukraine. He also said um, the alliance will ask um, uh, the Supreme Allied Commander in Europe to activate um, the five NATO defense plans for for the eastern flank. So that means from the high north down to Turkey. And currently, um, I mean, the alliance has around 5,000 troops and equipment uh, stationed uh, um, on that on that side of Europe uh, in four um, NATO multinational battle groups. I mean, they deployed in the Baltic region and in Poland. And we have to remember, I mean, that the Baltic states are considered to be NATO's most vulnerable flank. So um, they are linked to the alliance's main territory by a very tough to defend land corridor of around 60 kilometers between Poland and Lithuania. It's, it's also known as the Suwałki Gap, and it's it's located between Belarus and, and Russia's Kaliningrad ex- exclave. So those countries are very worried that, you know, um, due to the security situation, there might be um, some risk um, on that side as well. Um, however, all those forces that NATO has um, on the eastern flank have been also beefed up with troops and equipment uh, from several countries in recent months. And um, additionally to that, uh, to, to, to that aspect, Stoltenberg also confirmed that um, tomorrow on, on Friday there will be a virtual summit of NATO leaders that will that will discuss um, 
these matters further. It will be the 30 leaders of the of the alliance. Plus, they will be joined by non-NATO members, Finland and Sweden, as well as the EU side. So it's a very overarching European, European initiatives um, in, on the NATO side as well. And NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg met with European Commission President von der Leyen and European Council President Michel. It's over to the EU this evening. What are now the next steps on that side? So on the EU side, um, I mean, since the morning, we had the EU27 ambassadors um, preparing the next steps on the sanctions, on the second stage of sanctions. And the EU leaders' um, emergency summit is to take place this evening in reaction to to the attack on Ukraine. Initially, um, as as scheduled uh, yesterday, the summit was meant to be a discussion about the latest developments and potential next step if there would be an escalation. So now, most likely, we will hear more from the EU side um, uh, about sanctions, more extreme sanctions. Um, the EU has said it has been keeping more and tougher sanctions up its sleeve should Russian forces invade further. Um, now we have the situation that this has materialized. So EU leaders might also discuss next to the sanctions as, as some other issues um uh obviously it's a key question what kind of support um the EU can can offer to Ukraine when it comes to intelligence when it comes to financial aid or or any other material support plus there has been an initiative by by some eastern european members um to discuss potential eu candidate status to ukraine that's a step that kiev has long called for but um i mean i think in the current situation there's there's no way that this this would uh, be considered in in the form that it it could have been maybe months ago so realistically what options could this next round of sanctions include and what impact can they have So I think in general, the second round um, of sanctions will be much tougher than we have seen um, yesterday with the initial round. Um, what we could hear from Commission President von der Leyen this morning is that um, she was speaking about massive and targeted sanctions on Moscow. So as she explained, this would aim at its financial sector, freezing Russian assets and, and banning the export of technology to Russia. And overall, the idea is to weaken the country's economy base. Um, Russia's political le- leadership and oligarchs who support um, Putin um, could be potentially also targeted by those further sanctions. They were not included yesterday necessarily, but this could be one of the steps to also up the pressure on, on Putin's inner circle. Moreover, also, I mean, there might be a consideration to apply some sanctions um, on Belarus. I mean, we had some some reports this morning that um, Russian tanks crossed um, the border into Ukraine from that territory. Obviously, it's difficult to verify at the moment we're speaking now. But I think, um, you know, the minute that becomes becomes clearer, it, it could be an option that has been also discussed by foreign ministers earlier this week. Um, we can for sure expect maybe some discussion about gas and energy, although Um, what we've been hearing is that this might not be included in the sanction package, um, in the second sanction package. Um, also taking steps to limit um, or ban Russia's access to SWIFT, to the, to the global interbank payment system, um, is rather unlikely to be, to be included in this next sanction round. Um, especially as Eastern European members have, have actually called for it. But um, there's always the option to, you know, add it later or, or in a more escalatory stage uh, if needed. Will there be quick unity tonight? Uh, what are the obstacles? 
Well, this is the million euro question, Amy. <laughs> I mean, ambassadors will reconvene later this evening, and they, they have broken off for for um, technical works works on the on the legal uh, text. Um, hopefully, they will sin- finish relatively soon before the summit is supposed to start. The good thing is that we hear that there was unity among EU27 on the necessity to impose this next package tonight. So there's relative uh, relative unity about that. The downside is obviously the big question about how hard this package will be in the end, because some member states uh, have pushed for much stronger sanctions that have been the Eastern Europeans, but also some, some um, others that joined them. But others were rather reluctant um, on on going very far. The question is, for example, what Italy, um, uh, which has been um, opposing sweeping financial sanctions, will do. Banks in Italy, France and Austria are the world's most exposed international lenders to Russia. So um, that might definitely be maybe an issue in the discussions. Moreover... um, Although, as I mentioned, uh, gas and energy might not really end up in this uh, stage of the package, um, more gas-reliant member states uh, might raise the issue preventively already um, just to ju- just to get the issue uh, discussed. Um, and then in the addition, of course, uh, I think when it comes to Russia in general, Hungary often enough is, is the irritant uh, in the room. So um, we will see what what role uh, Prime Minister Orban will play. Um, I mean, Budapest has made assurances that it, it is um, inevocal in, in support for EU unity on this issue, but I mean, we never know. Many thanks to Alex and Georgi for the information and do follow your active's coverage on Ukraine for the latest developments. You're listening to Your Active's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on youractive.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. And staying on the same topic, but changing the angle slightly and focusing on the most important gas pipeline in Europe and its cancellation by Germany, I spoke with Euroactive's Nico Kurmayer and Oliver Noyan about the repercussions of the cancellation of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, the German side and the plausible sanctions. Germany has halted the Nord Stream 2. What does this mean in practical terms, Oliver? So yeah, up, up until now, Germany has just um, halted the, the, the certification process of Nord Stream 2. Um, that basically means that for that they're re-evaluating the situation. And um, um, so Nord Stream 2 isn't that they're re-evaluating, but maybe they, they could reopen it later. But as things stand right now, because this statement was given after um, um, Russia um, recognize the two, the, the two um, um, so-called people's republics in in Donbas. So now that we have like a f- um, full-fledged, fully-fledged war in Ukraine, um, things have changed completely. And I think it's really likely that Nord Stream Two is dead for good. So um, while there's no official comment either from the US nor from from Germany itself, when when Chancellor Scholz was in um, in the U.S. for state visit around three weeks ago, I think, um, Biden, U.S. President um, Joe Biden, made it really clear that if 
um, if Russia invades Ukraine, Nord Stream 2 is dead. And Nico, your thoughts on this? It is expected this is the final nail in the coffin of the most thought about pipeline in recent history. And in this new reality that we are all facing today, how is the cancellation of the Nord Stream 2 affecting Europe and Russia? So there's two sides to this. On the one hand, today, gas prices spiked by 40%, meaning we're experiencing an extreme burst of price increases across a variety of commodities, be it oil, be it gas, possibly barley, possibly wheat. This is what we're experiencing in Europe. But on the other hand, business relations are 100% going to be significantly disrupted as a consequence of this. And Russia is heavily reliant on foreign currency through its trade relations, especially with Europe, but also to some extent the US, who is a major oil importer as well. And in all, this is much more economically destabilizing for Russia in the mid to long term. But short term, we're going to experience supply crunches across a whole range of commodities, depending on which sanctions and how things play out from here. That was also highlighted by um, Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock in her speech today, where she basically said, this is the price we have to pay in Europe. So energy prices will be on the rise. But of course, the Russian aggression can't be unanswered. So this is a price we have to take. And Nico, you already mentioned prices changing and the shortages. Which are the most affected sectors? Given that we're also talking about Nord Stream 2, generally people tend to focus on gas, which is a crucial transition fuel that the European continent has come to rely on, which was reflected in the whole taxonomy debate. But ultimately, there is a lot of often ignored materials that we're importing from Russia. We're talking nickel, we're talking titanium, and we're talking aluminum. All of these are important to European industry and our lives, and they're featuring all of ours, but a lot of it comes from Russia. This is going to be a massive driver of inflation, because at the end of the day, we're talking about energy prices here. Energy prices factor into everything produced, so it trickles over really fast. Like we're talking about a three to six month period over which it's going to bleed over into every product category. Initially, in Germany, for example, we saw a 10% price increase for the prices of energy. But now that it will slowly extend to all other sorts of goods and we're experiencing historically high inflation, which is causing a lot of anxiety across Europe, but especially so in Germany, which has a bad history of inflation. And, and another angle to this is also food security. So um, Russia and Ukraine are one of the biggest exporters of um, various things such as grain and, and, and other food products. So this could also lead to, to heavy disruptions in this sector. Um, and price rises in, in, in this area. While, of course, Europe will be still be able to, um, European people will still be able to buy their daily bread. This will have even bigger repercussions on um, poorer um, states, in the global south, for instance, where this could lead to, to um, where this could have even um, more severe action, uh, reactions. And Oliver, in terms of diplomacy, what can we expect now? Uh, what's the next day? In her st press statement today, um, Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock made it really clear that Russia has crossed more than a red line here, that, 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 that this, this is um, pure insanity, what, what's, what's happening there in, 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 in Russia. So it, it's, and she also announced mass, massive sanctions against Russia without going into detail, but massive, unprecedented. And um, that's 
Germany is willing to bear the cost of those sanctions because like we've already outlined when it comes to gas prices, um, 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 international, especially European supply chains, chains, there are a lot of um, challenges that are lying ahead. And Germany seems to to be willing to, to pay this price. Following up on that, there's another kind of sanctions that are being considered or at least proposed. So you have to differentiate between something more broadly economic sanctions, targeting banks, targeting exports. But on the other hand, there's also so-called smart sanctions, personal sanctions. And we're talking a lot of, about a lot of personal objects of Russian oligarchs that are located in Germany. We're talking private jets. We're talking yachts. And there is, if the German government wants to get personal, it may begin seizing personal property of Russian oligarchs. Thank you, Nico and Oliver, for joining me today. Our time is up. I am Evikiori, and this was your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, subscribe to our podcast newsletter and visit youractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening.